Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Oi, the boys on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Oh, let's go! Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. You know that we are the number one show. So grab your fucking mitts and now it's time to go. Cause it's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. It's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. With Danny, Jimmy, Greg, and Andy, Jimmy, and JC. All we know and all we talk about is booty, booty. You're listening to FP Interviews, in-depth conversations with interesting people. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. A bonus edition podcast. It's interview. We always enjoy this. Uh, Has some great guests over the last couple of years. Um, so so big shoes to fill for today's guest. Uh, Craig Forrest is here. Amy Walsh is here. I'm James Sharman. And today's guest is uh, an advocate, gold medalist, visionary, legend of Canadian soccer, and currently general manager of women's soccer at the Vancouver Whitecaps. It's Steph Labay. Steph, welcome to Footy Prime. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Finally, I've been waiting for my invite. <laughs> Have you really? No. <laughs> Just uh, check your junk mail. It's probably there somewhere, you know? That's right. I'm sure we would have approached you at some point. Snail mail, yeah, yeah. Listen, you're, you're busy these days. You're so busy, you know, and with the game as it is and the way it's evolving in Canada, certainly. And we get to, we, we will get to the, the negative bullshit, unfortunately, later in the show. But let's start in a positive way. Um, it was announced in October, I think it was, that uh, – the Whitecaps are forming uh, a women's program with you at the helm as general manager. And then about a month or so later, it was announced that the Whitecaps are a founding partner with Project 8. Um, you get stuff done, Steph, don't you? <laughs> I move quickly. <laughs> uh, I'd be lying to say there wasn't things already happening behind the scenes. But, you know, I'd like to say that, yes, I got a job and a month later we were in a pro league. <laughs> So, I mean, tell me about what that's been like. I mean, listen, Greg Kerfoot's been a big supporter of women's soccer for a very long time. Um, I imagine it was a pretty easy sell, wasn't it? Yeah, to be honest, like that was one of the things that I really pulled me towards the job was knowing how supportive the Whitecaps have been of women's soccer, developing youth talent um, and really investing in the future. Um, 
it's it's a passion project for Greg. It's something that he is in it for the right reasons. You know, this isn't uh, necessarily like from a first point of view business thing. He really cares about the growth and development of players in this country. And I think you've seen that from the longstanding support that he has given. Um, and so for me to be able to work for an organization where I know the support is there, the passion is there, um, and they're doing it for the right reasons, um, that was something that really pulled me towards it. So knowing that I have that support and being able to come in with new and fresh ideas um, to bring my experience and my understanding of the landscape to the to the table, um, it's been a really fun journey for me. It's been a massive learning curve. Um, but yeah, those initial conversations, I think, were I didn't have to necessarily like, um, you know, really sell it in in that sense, because it's something that they've been invested in for a long time. You know, the Whitecaps have tried to get in the NWSL a few times, and that has proved its challenges, um, not necessarily from the Canadian end, but from the other end. Uh, and so, you know, to bring forward a new idea and something that um, I really believe is even better for the Canadian development and growth of the landscape of soccer in this country, um, it's been it's been a fun, supportive process from the start. In order to try to get more teams on board with Project 8, because you also tried out for the men's team at Calgary Foothills, right? They're also one of the original teams in Project 8. Are there any other clubs that we don't know that you've been a part of that could maybe jump in and you can <laughs> kind of kickstart the process? Uh, yeah, that's a good call. No, good for this country. <laughs> Are you surprised, uh, though, at, at kind of it, initially you got your on board, Calgary's on board, um, AFC Toronto City comes on board, and then there's been a little bit of a lull, and all of a sudden it's 18 months out. So mm-hmm. you're kind of saying, what's going on here, guys? Well, the lull is going to end pretty soon, so that's exciting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, for us, I think we've always known that ownership groups uh, and club, like that was going to be the hardest part of it. Um, you know, it's no secret that for partners to come in, um, for brands and corporations to want to be a part of this, like that's in a sense the easy sell. Um, they get their name plastered all over it. They get to really be a part of building it together. Um to own a club and to be behind a club, like financially, that's a much different investment. And so that is, um, I think, a bigger sell. And it's also no secret that this country hasn't supported women's sports for a long time. And so getting people to get behind it in a financial way in that sense has been a bigger challenge. But I think the more that we're getting clubs um, on board, like the more that these conversations are happening and it takes time, you know, it's, it didn't just take me one month to convince the Whitecaps to be a part of this. Um, those conversations were happening for a lot longer than that. And um, I think, you know, I saw a quote the other day and I'm probably going to butcher it now. Um, but for so, for so long, um, we see women's sports as like a risky investment. Um, but now I think the conversation is changing where women's sports, it's not, it's no longer a risky investment and it's actually a really good business investment. And I think, that ideology is slowly changing and people are slowly getting on board. And um, it's just about like creating that snowball effect. And and the more we get people involved, the more that other people are starting and getting in these conversations to want to be a part of it. Sammy, this is super exciting what you're doing, but I have to ask you about transitioning from playing for so many years into doing something completely different. Do you miss playing? Do you, because I still feel that you're, you know, capable of playing if you really wanted to. Um, do you miss it? And how is that transitioning for you? Because you're still involved with the game. Is that helping you with that transition? Yeah, to be honest, like, I don't miss it at all. I think there's, 
a piece of me where like the part of being a high performance athlete, like there's the one small part of the ego that misses it. Like I miss being on the field in the biggest of stages and, you know, surrounded by a screaming crowd of, you know, 60, 80,000 people making a game winning save. Like I miss that moment, but everything that leads to that moment, I don't miss one bit. So, so I'm not willing to do any of the work that gets you to that moment. Um, so yeah, I think, any high performance athlete would be lying if they say they don't miss like, you know, being in the biggest of stages in that perfect environment. Um, but I was able to go out on my own terms. I went out when I wanted to, because I wanted to um, at the complete, you know, top of my game, winning an, an Olympic gold medal. Like I couldn't have written it better myself. Um, and then be able to be able to have that moment at BC place um, in front of friends, family, fans in a stadium where we've had so many memorable games, like, I really, for myself, was able to have like the perfect ending to my career. And I think that has given me the closure and the acceptance and the gratitude that I've, I need to like move on in, in the right way. And um, of course, there's moments of like, oh, you know, like that would be so fun to still be a part of it. But the biggest thing I miss is just the people. Like I miss being around my best friends and I miss being around a team all the time. But like I said, I don't miss anything that that leads to that moment. And um, the transition to life after sport has been pretty smooth, I would say, um, you know, being able to be a part of continuing to be in the game and changing the game and being able to still hopefully like create better moments for the players, you know, in the generations after myself um, is something that I'm yeah, really passionate about and excited to be a part of. I want to jump. I want to continue with this conversation a little bit because I know a lot of people don't understand, you know, you're, you're driven to become successful, but there was some fantastic goalkeepers before you and you had to drive yourself to continue to think and believe in yourself that you're going to crack it at some stage. Uh, mm -hmm. How were they with you as well? And, you know, the, the great goalkeepers and, and how did that drive you? And then once you got to that position, what kept you and what drove you to stay there? Yeah, I think obviously originally, like you said, you know, I joined the national team behind two absolute world-class goalkeepers with Aaron and Karina. And, you know, at the beginning, like being able to learn from them, watch them every single day, seeing the little things that they do, you know, it's not just about watching them performing games. It's being able to train with them day in and day out, seeing how they um, mentally prepare for training, seeing the amount of work and effort they put in, um, seeing the type of teammates they are, how they, you know, deal with being a starter versus being a backup, like, all their habits and routines being able to learn from like true professionals is something that, you know, you, you can't read in a book. You can't have here on a podcast, <laughs> um, but to be able to like take that knowledge to then apply it to myself and, you know, the learnings I had over the years of, you know, seeing these incredible role models and trying to be like them and then realizing, Oh, I actually don't need to be like them. I need to be more like myself. Like, that learning curve and that journey of learning to be the best me that I can be, um, you know, to be better than them. It wasn't to be them and be better. It was to be the best me that I could be and show how that can be better. Um, that was like the biggest thing that I think I started to evolve in my journey. And that's what eventually started to take me to the top of my game. And I think the learnings that I had with that, being able to like pass that down to, to that next generation and, create positive environments. Um, it's really unique as a goalkeeper where you train so intimately with the other keepers. Um, for me to be able to try to pass down some of that knowledge and create a really positive environment, I think was one of the things that I really wanted to leave behind was like that really positive, engaging, competitive 
um, atmosphere within the goalkeeper union. Um, and then I think like being able to create that and like push the people around me to be their best was in turn pushing me to be my best every single day. And so with Kaylin and Sabrina, we really like created a positive, challenging, competitive environment. And that's what ultimately like pushed me to have to perform very consistently because if I didn't, they were right there ready to take that spot. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's all about that competitive, positive environment where you're pushing each other and, and on game day, you support whoever it is that's being chosen. Um, but then, you know, the next day it's right back to, to the drawing board and, and pushing each other even more. I think Craig's asking the wrong goalkeeping questions, though. I want to know about the weird <laughs> shit that you did, because we all know that you guys do some completely fucked shit. So I want to know all about that stuff. <laughs> fuck it's only because you make us crazy. It's you fucking shit. outplayer. The game was much better if it was just goalkeepers. <laughs> See, I think you guys are the crazy ones. We're the normal ones. Everyone else is crazy. We're normal. <laughs> if I could just be the, uh, the, the voting here, because I'm the non-footballer here. You are weird, goalkeepers. I'm with, I'm, with, I'm with dubs here. Craig once said, actually, Craig said uh, on this podcast, he goes, he, he can walk into a room and he always knows that there's a goalkeeper there. There's some kind of weird synergy happening. He goes, you, you're a goalkeeper. Did you, do you find the same kind of thing? Is there some kind of weird connection there? Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think you can pick out, like if you were to talk, talk to a bunch of soccer players and I think you could pick out who the goalkeeper is if, if you didn't know anyone's <laughs> positions. I'll say that. Um, but you know, I like to think it's it's the leader in the group, the one who really knows how to organize the people around them, take initiative, uh, confident. <laughs> yeah, of course you would say that. What's one thing that you always had to do on game day or a couple of things or some weird practice habit that you had? There's got to be some. Yeah, I mean, I had... I was, to be honest, I remember being told this like thing when I was young that you can never have a superstition because a superstition, like there's can always be something that can throw it off. And mm. so I, and like, funny enough, I remember someone saying like, don't have any type of superstition that happens within the moment you arrive at the stadium and the moment the game starts, because that timing can be thrown off like in a heartbeat. And funny enough, I remember in 2016 in the, in the Olympics, we ended up showing up, I think it was like 15 minutes before game time because of like traffic and our police escorts like weren't doing the proper job or whatever. And so in my head, I remember in that moment thinking, well, thank goodness I don't have a pregame superstition because I would be screwed right now. Um, but one thing I always did, which I was able to take everywhere. Um, and by always, I mean, I actually, I developed it later in my career, like probably with six or seven years, but when I really started to take the mental side of the game more seriously, um, I would always take like a minute or two in the locker room right before warm-up, um, where I would, you know, when the locker room's starting to get really high energy, the music is going, there's the singers and the dancers, um, I would sit like in my stall or in my seat, wherever I was, uh, and just meditate for like a minute or two. And in my head, it was my way of like being able to be calm within chaos. And I figure if I can be calm and like focus on my breathing and just be able to be really in tune with myself when there's all of this distraction happening around me, then it's going to be easy in the game when like it's chaotic, you know, maybe it's 89th minute, we're trying to hold on to a lead um, and we're just getting peppered with crosses and shots. I'm going to be able to be calm in that moment. So that was something that I really implemented in and was able to do that I think was maybe a little bit different and haven't seen before, but yeah. It's not How fuck your... shit, but we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm a normal goal. I think I'm pretty how normal. You, how was your anxiety level before game? 
I think because of that, it was quite calm, honestly. Like I was really able to control my breathing. Um, I'll, I'll say like Tokyo was a little bit of an anomaly in that sense where I like really experienced some like crazy anxiety and panic attacks like throughout the tournament. Um, I was able because of like the processes I had in place to kind of control myself like within the timeline of, of a warm up in a game. But outside of that, like I was really dealing with a, some really crazy fucked up shit, we'll say. <laughs> Certainly from a, a standpoint of uh, playing in those big, big games, a lot of people always like to talk about penalties. And obviously we know what happened in the penalty shootout, but you were smiling during a lot of it. And I think people also don't understand that it's one time when us goalkeepers are in a position where there's not really pressure on us. And as you can apply that pressure on the penalty takers and it is incredible and we know the differences because we in training it's much different how did you process that because you certainly did put yourself in a comfort zone as well as putting some pressure on the other players because you just looked incredibly confident yeah I think that's just it like confidence is the biggest thing um and I knew going into it like uh, you know, we did so much prep as a team. The players did so much prep in terms of like working on their shots. Um, we did a lot of studying of other teams that for me, it was like studying the top players and who was most likely to take kicks, um, getting all that. And um, of course, like a mid game, you know, one shot is very different than a penalty shootout. And so going into a penalty shootout, it's like, I think for me, it was all about, like you said, staying confident, like there's five shooters just because you let the first one in, like don't let that rattle you because you have four more chances. Um, and of those five shooters, like make one save and you're giving your team a chance, make two saves and you're giving your team a really good chance of winning. And so for me, it was all focused on that and like doing whatever I could. Um, at the same time, body language I know is so incredibly powerful, not only to be giving to your opponents, but also to your own teammates. And so I knew coming in after extra time, like coming into the team huddle before we went to the penalty shootouts, I knew how important my body language was to my team. Like I was the most fresh at that moment of, of every player that was on the field. Um, they were tired. They were exhausted. They'd just played 120 minutes. So if I could give any type of confident, relaxed body language to my teammates, that was my focus in that moment. And then the second I stepped into the goal, like if I could breathe confidence, I knew that that would send a message to my own team that they would then have the confidence in me and they could be more relaxed when the other team was shooting. And at the same time, I knew that my confidence was going to have some type of an effect on the other team as well. And so being able to do that and then, you know, a few other tips and tricks I learned from doing some studying of some other tournament penalty shootouts that I could, um, all the different things to, to take, you know, the players on the other team out of their process and out of their comfort zone anything I could do to maybe make them think about me or think about something other than what their process is. Um, that was all part of the game plan. Yeah. We, we saw that a lot of the most recent world cup um, in, in December, some real gamesmanship at the shootouts between the goalkeepers and, and, the, and the takers. Is that something you, you found you comfortable doing that? I mean, you're, you're a nice person, Steph, but goalkeepers have that edge to them. I know they can't switch, but did you yeah. find that easy? I think it wasn't, I didn't do anything that was out of my comfort zone. Um, everything for me, like, came quite naturally. And, you know, I watched a lot of things. I watched a lot of goalkeepers. We watched the the Euros from earlier that year or from the year before um, and learned a lot from those Euros. There was actually a lot of penalty shootouts in those. Um, so I learned a lot from the goalkeepers in that. And there was a lot of things I saw that, you know, maybe didn't resonate with me. Um, and there's a lot of things that I felt like, you know what, this is quite naturally and this is definitely something that I could do. Um, and so... I think 
in the moment, a lot of it just came natural and I was quite confident and just like ready to kind of do whatever I needed to do. And I think like Craig was saying, like, I didn't feel any pressure. Like I, I really didn't feel like this is my moment. I have to like make saves. I have to do this for my team. I had a lot of confidence in my own teammates. And so I didn't feel like I had a lot of pressure that I had to like make the big save to give us a chance in a sense. It's interesting because, you know, you, you say you're happy in retirement and that's fantastic. I believe you obviously, and that you don't miss that much about the game. Um, but when you look back on, on that, that day and the, how you must've felt that, that true height, that ex- exhilaration, do you ever think, man, is that it? Have I kind of peaked? Is that, is that <laughs> as, as good as it gets? Or, or can you remove like your personal life from, from the football life? There, there's definitely like, it comes up a lot. And I talked to my partner, Georgia, about this a lot. Like those moments, like you will never have. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. That feeling again. Like, there is nothing in this world that will recreate that high and that moment um, of being at the top of, you know, whatever it is that you've trained for, um, winning amongst like this group of people that truly are family. Like, I don't think I'll ever be able to have that feeling again. And I think that's something that keeps people in sport longer than maybe they should, or longer than a lot of outside people think, but it's the chasing of that, like euphoric glory that is so, it's so hard to find, but when you get it, like you don't want to lose it and you just want it again and again. And that's what keeps athletes like going and going and going is you're constantly chasing that euphoric high. And so like my partner and I have talked about this a lot, like how do you find that in life, like outside of sport? And it is really challenging, but it is something that like drives you for so long. And then like, there are days where you're just like, what am I doing this for? Like, what am I getting at the end of this? And it's, it's an interesting like reframing of the mind that it's a, you're chasing something different now. And I think that is one of the hardest things as an athlete is like, or coming out of being an athlete is like, how do you fulfill that? And how do you mm-hmm. find that in a different way? And I think that is one of the biggest challenges. You think you can you start do a podcast, that? right, Amy? You start a podcast, yeah, yeah. that's what you do. It's... Oh, exactly. And you're so fulfilled. <laughs> But you, do you think though? Because for for me, it was a little bit about the finding the the physical nature and the endorphins of activity that was other than soccer, and that you're never going to reach the same high. But maybe you know the forty kilometer bike rides that you're going on with Georgia. Do they go a long way to to filling that void? 
Well, remember, I am a goalkeeper, so the physical <laughs> output wasn't necessarily the high I'm chasing. Uh, you know, I get it when I score goals with my women's beer league team now. I, I feel a little bit of a high. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, like, there's moments where I think about moments in the future. Like, I think about the moment of being at the first women's professional soccer game in Canada. Like, the moment that that whistle goes and there's that first kickoff, like, I like I get chills thinking about what that moment is going to be. And I think it's for me, it's just like reframing the moment that, you know what, this isn't about me anymore. And it's not going to be my moment, but it's about being a part of a moment. And I think it's reframing that. And um, I think like for me, like that's the moment where I'm like, I'm going to feel that. So I better feel it in that moment. <laughs> um, but I think it's like finding different ways of like where you're going to be a part of it and like what it's what that moment means. And I think that's like, at the end of the day, when I look back at those euphoric highs, like what did that moment mean? And it had a bigger meaning than like as specific as it was. So for me, like obviously Tokyo, like, yes, it was the meaning of like all of the hard work and everything that I had like worked towards to be in that moment and to have that opportunity to feel that. But there's so much of a bigger meaning to what that meant to Canadian soccer, to young girls in this country, young boys in this country, um, to Canadians who aren't even in sport, like that moment had such a ripple effect. And so I think for me, it's like, how can I be part of that ripple effect again? You know, the Olympics for women's soccer is just, you know, it's, it's on par with the World Cup. It's, it's huge. There has been suggestions that they might at some point make it an, an age grade under 23 tournament, like the men's tournament, um, put to put more emphasis on the World Cup, which is what FIFA won, of course. Um, as someone that's won the Olympics and has played Olympic games, played at World Cups, is that something you understand or are you for or against that, that type of uh, philosophy? Yeah. I mean, I'm totally behind the fact that the world cup is a bigger, um, you know, if you look at the, the, the makeup of the Olympics, you don't have all of the European powerhouses in that tournament. Um, you, one could say that it's a smaller tournament. So every single game you play is harder. Um, you don't have, you know, the maybe one or two games in, in a bigger tournament where it's a little bit of an easier game. But at the same time, the World Cup, you have to play more games to win. So you have to be a lot more consistent over a longer period of time. Olympics, it's a shorter turnaround. World Cup, it's a longer turnaround. But you could say that there's pros and cons to that. Like for us, I think the Olympics, the short turnaround really benefits us because we think less. There's less time to prepare for the next team. So you just focus on yourself because that's the easiest thing to focus on in a tight turnaround. So the more you think about yourself, the less you like overthink opponents, put them up on this pedestal. World Cup, you have a little bit more time to be between games. So then you tend to like overthink the next game. You tend to go into a lot more detail than maybe you need to. So you could kind of see like the pros and cons of both. But I think in the end, like the World Cup, you have all of the best teams there. And at some point you're going to have to go through all of them. And so I think it's, for me, like the World Cup is still, I don't think you can argue that it's like the pinnacle of, of soccer in the world. Um, but I'm still going to take my Olympic gold and feel good about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> um, I mean, listen, in just a, a couple of weeks' time, we're kicking off another World Cup. Um, very exciting. It's going to be, I think, a strange one. Lots of injuries, obviously, but also the farewell tour for some players. Martyrs announced this week she'll be retiring from international football post-World Cup. You do wonder about Christine. I don't, I hope not. She's going to keep playing football, obviously, but will she, will that be the time to say farewell to the international game? Um, given given the preparation issues for Canada for this World Cup, I mean, what, what are your expectations for this current team? 
Yeah, I think for sure, like looking at the preparation, I think the challenge of not having seen them play too many like top class opponents leading in um, and not having a game in the past little bit is a bit worrisome. But at the same time, like I also wonder if that's maybe giving some players the chance to get back healthy again um, and to get themselves back in the squad. Um, You know, I think we see the majority of the injuries come back. Obviously, Janine Becky is a massive blow and I think will be a I don't think those shoes can be filled, to be honest. Um, I think other people can come in and have incredible performances, but I think Janine's shoes can't be filled at this moment. Um, But I think, you know, we're seeing Deanne Rose, Nichelle Prince back in form. Quinn is back playing. Um, Desi Scott hopefully will be back healthy uh, in time. And so seeing those players come back, uh, Shalina as well, um, I think is a good sign that they're all in the camp and at least there in the pre-camp. but yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I know, you know, depending where they finish in the group, they're going to have a pretty tough first knockout round as well, um, the way that the path looks. But like I said, at the same time, like if you want to win, you've got to beat the best. And I think this team has what it takes to play consistently and to have that. Um, and I think this tournament will really showcase the depth of what we have in Canada. And uh, that's going to be at the end what makes or breaks it like, Bev has to, she's said it before and she has to use her full roster. She has to use the depth. And so I think that's going to come into play. Um, that's, I think, hurt us in the past where we haven't used our full depth in World Cups. And so um, I think Bev sees that as, as a major strategy. And so um, I think that'll be a really fun thing to keep an eye on is, is really seeing um, a lot of players having to make an impact. What do you see in, in Canada's goalkeepers in, in, the, in the current union? With uh, with Kaylin and Sabs and uh, it's Lisiane, right? Lisiane Prou. Mm-hmm. So, do you see a little bit of what you had with Aaron and and Karina reflected in them, and what what in their qualities and their strengths of each of those individuals do you think will lend Canada to have which it always has traditionally had in in world class goalkeeping? Yeah, I mean it's it's no like secret. Kaylin is an incredible shot stopper. Um, so, in terms of like being a team that can maybe put a little more emphasis into the attack, which may put them at risk for some maybe defensive transition. Um, Kaylin is a credible shot stopper. So I think she will be able to bring that aspect. Um, Kaylin is a goalkeeper we haven't really seen in the Canadian team before in the sense of she's a lot more of a high risk, uh, flashy type of a goalkeeper, um, which I think brings its strengths. Um, It's when she pulls it off, it's incredible and it can completely change the game and it brings a different type of excitement to the game for Canadian fans. Um, it obviously can at times put Canada at risk for, for some other things, but I think that is something that she brings that is very different and you don't see it in a lot of goalkeepers. It's a confidence, it's a flair. Um, it's something completely different and her distribution for sure is also a, a massive strength. Um, Sabrina to me is like uh, one of the most underrated, understated goalkeepers that we've had. I think she is a fantastic goalkeeper. Um, her character and what she brings to the team is something that um, you really can't look past. Like she's an incredible teammate and incredible support. Um, she, you know, is very selfless in the sense of like, she always supports whoever it is like being chosen on the day. And she gives her all, all the time. And um, she's a player that I wish like got a little bit more of a chance to really show herself and prove herself because I think she brings a really like, calm confident presence to the people around um and so 
yeah, I think it's it's a very interesting group. Lisiana, I haven't really seen much of her. Um, she kind of came in when I left, so I didn't get the chance to train or play with her very much. Um, but from what I see, she also has a little bit of like a confident flair to her and um, brings a little bit of a different dynamicism to the to the position. And so I think it's a really great blend. Um, they're all young in terms of experience. Like they've been to major tournaments, you know, Sabrina was with me in Rio and, and got to play uh, a game in that tournament. And Kaylin, of course, got some time in Tokyo. And so both of them have time in international tournaments, but neither have really been in that starting position. So I think seeing them take that next step, because it is very different than the pro game. Um, so being able to take that next step and show the consistency at the international level, I think will be something that will be really exciting to follow. You know, Priestman obviously very, very well. Um, there's been a ton of distractions, and we've talked about with her exactly about this, about, you know, these distractions. And, you know, it's one thing X's and O's, um, but this is something that is at a different level that she said she could have never really predicted or certainly uh, prepared for. Uh, how do you think she's doing with it? And how do you think the team is, you know, together as we get closer to the World Cup? Can they put this behind them and concentrate on this World Cup? Yeah, I think for me, the Canadian team, one thing that they've always been able to do is rise above challenges, rise in moments of adversity. And so, yes, there's been distractions, but I think it's something that has really united the team. I think it's something that maybe we've, you know, especially during the She Believes tournament, like we maybe noticed like that the the performance were, performances weren't necessarily there on the field. But I think this team has gone through something really challenging off the field and I think it will unite them and bring them together knowing that they're fighting for something so much bigger than than themselves and that they're they really are leaving a legacy and leaving the sport better than they found it and um, I really hope that that shines through as something that we see come through in performances as well Um, we've seen it in the past in big tournaments and it always seems to come together um, in the Olympics and I think it's for me the biggest challenge is for it to come together during a World Cup because We've had challenges. It feels like, Amy, I'm sure you remember as well, before a lot of World Cups, there has always been something that we were fighting, something that we were pushing for. And I think it's been able to be pulled together during Olympics. And now the challenge is, can we pull it together during a World Cup as well? And can that team chemistry be the X factor in a World Cup as well? Hey, Steph, we touched on a little bit about the the mental health, anxiety, uh, panic attacks during the Olympic Games and of... I know you've suffered from it. I've suffered from it, but we're not talking about me right now. I want to know what you're doing right now because I know you're doing a lot of positive things outside the game to develop and help that side of things for other athletes and just people in general that suffer from it. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing about that right now? Yeah, I think honestly, like the biggest thing for me is just being open, being transparent, talking about my challenges and talking about it in a real way. Um, I think... So often we um, we see mental health uh, as like mental illness in a sense of like something is wrong with somebody um, that, you know, this makes them lesser of a human or less, not as strong, not as capable of certain things, not as resilient. Um, and I think for me, it's like talking about it in the way of like, soon as I started talking about my mental health, it actually brought out this like inner strength in me that I didn't know I had and this 
confidence in like, you know what? Yeah, this is part of me and this is something I struggle with, but it's actually made, made me much more resilient and much stronger. And the tools that I've like brought into my life because of it um, have actually been things that have helped me be the most resilient, confident person that I could. And so for me, it's like continuing the conversations, continuing to normalize the conversations, continuing to talk about my experiences. Um, and the more that I've like talked about it, the more I've resonated with people and people have reached out and said, you know, I connected to this part of your story or this part of your story and um, how that's like allowed people to explore in their own journey and the the things that they are going through as well. And um, I think the biggest thing for me is like with young athletes, um, changing the narrative. Um, it's not only with athletes, but it's with coaches and people that work with young athletes, like realizing that when an athlete speaks out about their mental health, like it doesn't mean that they're weaker and that they're less of a player and that you shouldn't bring them along because they're mentally unstable. Um, I think it's like changing that conversation and um, showing kids that it is um, an incredible strength and courageousness to be able to talk about it and talk about the things that you're struggling with and just being able to like have that out in the open, I think, um, can allow you to to move further along in your journey and and find more resources and more people around you that will help you and support you. So How were your teammates during all this? My teammates were incredible. Um, Quinn was my roommate for like throughout a lot of um, the years leading in and through Tokyo, and they were an incredible support system for me. Um, you know, it's not that I needed to talk about it all the time, but it's just having people around you that recognize when you're struggling and that are there for support and that you just know that if you need to talk, they're there, um, but they're checking in on you. They're asking, you know, how they can help you, what you need um, and just kind of making the hard times a little bit easier. Um, I think it's just like knowing that you have that support um, goes such a long way. And um, so, yeah, so my, my teammates were incredible. Um, I remember being in certain environments, like when I was playing in PSG in France, um, I remember I spoke to it about it in one of my very first interviews and, um, they were so appreciative because in that culture, it's like not very um, common for athletes to speak out about mental health and talk about challenges. It's it's much more common for athletes to like keep it pretty internal. And so I remember when I spoke about it so kind of freely, um, a lot of the people in the French um, league or in the sp French sporting system were quite like taken aback in a sense of how, how much I spoke about it. And um, so I think like, just seeing different cultures and how they go about it um, was quite a learning process for me. But at the same time, I'm hoping that by my openness to talk about it, it's hopefully changing. What is the biggest uh, thing that we could improve on as a, as a society to, to improve this? I think resources, like having more resources for people who are struggling um, to be able to reach out and have access to um, more support. Um, not everybody is lucky to have a, you know, a close support system of people close in their life that are there and, and understand. And so I think having more resources for people struggling is, is one of the biggest things for me. Um, and then I think just continuing the conversations, changing the narratives around it. Um, and, um, yeah, providing that access so that when people do want to speak out and look for help, um, it's there. I'm not sure if you saw, but uh, earlier this week, uh, Forest Green Rovers in England, um, they, they fired their coach and they hired an interim basis, Hannah Dingley, first uh, woman head coach of a professional team in English football. Um, interim, um, but they're saying, listen, we're, we're wide open here uh, to any opportunities. Um, 
overall, and listen, there's so much crap over here right now. I understand that with, with gender equity and, you know, we, we all know that story right now. But overall, are you optimistic the corner's been turned internationally or are we still a long way off? I think it depends on what way you look. Um, I think if you look on paper, like we're still a long way off. Um, but if you look at what players are standing up for now, I don't think we're that far off um, in terms of like the confidence of players and players are understanding how powerful they are and how powerful their voices are. Um, that they're starting to speak out about things that they're not happy about things that are inequitable and things that women in sport deserve. Um, I think it's times are changing. And I think the biggest thing is that athletes are using their voices in the right way now um, in which was a lot more feared in the past, or there were a lot more consequences for athletes speaking out um, and times are changing in that sense. So I think, on paper, I still see a lot of inequities and a lot of things that need to change, but I'm really hopeful based on um, the environment and what's being um, put forward by players now. Well, I think overall exciting times. Uh, you can remove the, the nonsense. Overall, we're seeing some progress and exciting World Cup coming up and Project 8 just around the corner. I tell you, I, I'm looking forward, I know Craig is too, to seeing the likes of yourself and Deanna being so involved. And, and I'm pretty sure our own Amy Walsh will be involved in some capacity somewhere. somewhere. I'm pretty sure. She's told us nothing, but listen, let's be honest. They'd be just crazy not to hire her some club. Come they on. just want me off the podcast. They just want to move no, no, me no, along. No, 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 no. You're stuck with no, us, Jimmy. Afraid. Oh, yeah, it's Jimmy. <laughs> but listen, good luck with everything, Steph. Uh, really great chat, and, and you're welcome back anytime. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is Steph LeBay, and this has been Interview. Follow us on Twitter at footy underscore prime and on Instagram at footyprimeig. Brilliant. That was great. Thanks so much. No problem. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.